Hey, I'm Andy. I'm Andy. And you're listening to the HMO Podcast. Over 10 years ago, I set myself the challenge of building my own property portfolio. And what began as a short-term investment plan soon became a long-term commitment to change the way young people live together. I've now built several successful businesses, I've raised millions of pounds of investment, and I've managed thousands of tenants. Join me and some very special guests to discover the tips, tricks, and hacks, the ups and the downs, the best practice, and everything else you need to know to start, scale, and systemize your very own HMO portfolio. Now. Hi, John. Good to have you back on the show. Hi, Andy. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. So, John, today I think we're going to have a chat about motivating staff, aren't we? I know you've got loads of experience with staff in your businesses. You've got, you know, you've got quite a big staff count. I know a lot of our listeners have got staff as well, and some of our listeners are just starting, maybe just hiring the first staff member, maybe even mm-hmm. a VA. But I think it'd be great to have a chat about how you've managed to manage and motivate staff to get the results that you've ultimately got that has helped you grow grow your businesses. So. Can we kind of kick off by just talking about perhaps the importance of this? Because I think, and I say this from experience as well, it's easy to think that staff are there to do a job and we give them that job and they should just do it and that's it and that's kind of all we have to do. And I've definitely made this mistake before. Mm -hmm. But working with you over the years, actually, you've taught me that there's much, much more to staff and and getting the best out of our staff Mm -hmm. as we can. So why is this so important, John? Oh, that's a $64 million question, isn't it? Like why and, and how? I mean, look, I've I've made more mistakes than, than pretty much anyone I know when it comes to managing a move it and stuff. The point is that we've we've learned from it. As you know, I'm a big fan of reading and, and, and looking at theories and stuff. And theories are great until you put them into practice to see if they work or not. So the reason that, that we need to motivate our staff is is a pretty obvious one because without motivation they're not going to want to do the job that we've recruited them and, and ultimately employed them to do. The second thing is, as well, we're not going to get that consistency of service as well if they're not motivated. So it's not just an initial, well, I'm not going to do the job. It's consistently on, a, on an ongoing basis. How you motivate and manage people is, it's a little bit of a dark art. It's a bit of science. It's a bit of motivational theory. And it's a little bit of, well, it's a lot of people in, in interpersonal skills. Oh, and by the way, the first thing is money is never a motivator. If you look at all the, the science and the behavioral science behind it, money does not motivate staff. People think it motivates them, but it doesn't. People who are receiving it, who are the employee, they think that they're working there for money, but they're not. And if somebody comes or says they are only coming for money, then I wouldn't recruit them because they've got that mercenary mindset. And that they're coming for see you're paying them £30,000 a year. As soon as somebody pays them £32,000, they're going to go. The amount of people that have been offered more by people out of the industry or jobs out of the industry and have still chosen to stay with us is quite numerous. And that gives us a, a bit of pride that we give them just so much more than money. Now, money is important. I'm not dismissing that in any way, shape or form. We do need money to live, to pay the bills, the mortgage, the holidays, education for the kids, cars, whatever it is. But it's so much more than that. It's about going to work and enjoying your job and being happy and being fulfilled and having a purpose and knowing that there's progression there. And progression doesn't necessarily mean you're going up the corporate ladder. You're you're this level, then you're going to the sales neg, then senior sales neg, then a manager, then a director or whatever it is. Progression could mean just being better at your job. So simply put, motivational behavior is, is about progression. It's about achieving. It's about ambition. It's about attaining something. It's about moving along your personal ladder, your personal journey, and just being better at it. Just so, you know, you're going in on a Monday, and as long as you're better on Tuesday, better on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that is motivation. 
I think that's so interesting because I suspect, and this was certainly me a few years ago, that a lot of people listening today will have thought that maybe putting bonus structures in or maybe just paying people a little bit more is going to guarantee better results. And I know firsthand that that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've taught me this over the years. So how do we sidestep this? And what, you know, let's stick on the money part because like you mm-hmm. said, it, it is important for people, but it's not the reason. It's not how to keep people motivated. But how do we figure out with a staff member what the right financial incentive is and what do we need to balance this off with? I know one of the things that we implemented very early on five, six years ago when we started working together were the appraisals that we did with Mm. staff and methods of coaching and kind of constructive feedback, but also showing appreciation and actually just saying it. But if we stick with the money part, John, first of all, how Mm. do we figure out what, if there should be an incentive there at all, whether it should be a bonus or whether we should pay people more, how do we benchmark that in the industry? Perhaps we've got listeners who are hiring a VA for the first time and, you know, it's just a different type of staff member. Maybe they're remote-based, maybe they're based in a different country. But how do we figure that that piece out first so that we can kind of box it off and then look at other stuff and other areas where we can motivate staff? Yeah, I mean, look, one of the things is that people, if you've got a job advert out there, unless the wage package is, is decent, they're not going to come to you anyway. It's a bit like, you know, having a shop but closing the window. You've got to be open and available for people to look in the store, for look at look at the job. So, and the, the only thing that's going to attract them is going to be a reasonable pay package. Then, once you get them interview, then you can sell them. It's the old Pareto eighty twenty, eighty percent. You know, you're asking them questions, but twenty percent you're also selling the company to them. So, you're talking about your values, your culture. If you've got any um, any other schemes or sort of ways of working that might be that they might like, you know, like we've got monthly awards, employee of the month, manager of the month, branch of the month. We have an AGM. We have a we take them out all the time. So those types of things, amongst other things as well. So those are the types of things you want to just slip into the conversation to tell them we're not your normal, what not your normal company. But once you get them and once you recruit them and you talk about the bonus structure, the bonus structure should be there. As a bonus, a lot of people, especially in in the property industry, in the estate agent, letting agent that I'm involved in, will pay a commission. So if they sell a house, they will get 2% or 3% or half a percent or whatever. For me, that's what their wage is for. So we don't pay a commission, we pay a bonus. So if they sell five houses, they get nothing for it other than the wage. If they sell the sixth house, that's when they get a bonus because we expect them as part of the job to sell the five don't be worrying about a bonus if you're selling ones and twos every month. Worry about keeping your job. <laughs> That's the crux of it. So the bonus is actually, it's an outperformance kind of reward. It's a bonus. The clue is in the name. It is a bonus. It is on top of extra. It's it's on top of hitting hitting your targets. So we don't pay a commission. We, we pay a bonus. But if you look at motivational theory, so if you look at, I mean, most people, most of the listeners have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where there's a guy called Aldefer, Hertzberg, McClellan, you know, Aldefer's ERG theory. If you look at all these sort of geeky theories, they talk about what motivates humans, and it is that progression, getting better. Well, what way financially can you stimulate and motivate people by paying them when they are getting better, rewarding them when they're getting better, giving some sort of recognition when they are selling more houses than what they expected to? They'll get paid for it, and it goes up and up and up, and it's it's uncapped in our business. So those types of bonus structures are really, really popular with us. They're really popular with the clients that we've implemented this in, and I truly think that this will get you away from the mercenary mindset. 
don't get me wrong. You're going to, if, some, if we're paying £25,000 and somebody comes in and says, right, I'm going to double it to fifty, we're going to lose that person. We know that. We get that. And you can't account for every single eventuality. But in the main, the majority of people, if you put a, a structure and a finance structure like that, it rewards the high performers. It rewards the people that hit their targets. It rewards the people that exceed their targets. Those other people, the coasters, they don't, they don't earn the big bucks. They don't earn the money. But that's fine because if you're not earning it, why should they earn it? But finance in isolation is never, ever going to give you that, that ultimate motivational sort of strategy. You need to bring in other things as well. As I said before, we have manager of the month. We've got prospect employee of the month. We've got branch of the month. We have an annual general meeting at the end of the year where we have spoof awards, which always goes down really well. So we take the mick out of people. If somebody said or did something silly and, you know, someone's got like slick back hair, we give them the Brill Cream Award, you know, daft little things like that. And the guys have such a good time about it and then we have some serious awards so every year we've got as we've got bigger we've had bigger awards so we've had most improved best performer more sales most lettings overall branch etc etc and this time because we've added a couple more branches um quite recently we'll probably have 10 12 and you want to make it a bit of an event so those things i mean everybody says it is an, an amazing event everybody loves it and then down at my house we have a summer barbecue we haven't had one for a couple of years, obviously, because of COVID and whatnot. But in the main, it's just those little things that really help motivate people and make people feel as though they are, they've got a purpose and a passion with with the business. So is this culture we're talking about, John? Is this part of the business culture as well? Because I imagine you, these things weren't always there for you. You've probably mm-hmm. evolved into doing these things and, and learn. You get more out of staff. You have a more productive environment. You have less churn with staff. Is that something that, that, that's developed over time with you and your businesses? Yeah, culture is never set from day one and culture is an ever-moving feast if you like it can always change so it, you know yourself when if you get a bad or poor employee or a toxic employee in the business it can really change it and change it quick mm. so that's why good managers or good leaders will stamp out that toxicity very very early on very quickly and a hands-on manager or somebody who is is very involved in the business will be able to see that and identify it and as a manager and a leader we have to we have to stop that because it's it's like a cancer and it will it will negatively impact on, on everybody else. I think I've told you this before, but there was a really good, I think it was a Harvard Business Review article, and they interviewed 10,000 employees over in America, and they said, if we could make your job better, what would we have to do? Would it be less hours, more money, flexi time, better technology? And they listed about 10, 15 different things. 65% came back and just said, give me better people to work with. That was it. Just give me better people to work with. People want to work with better people. And the reason is very simple. We don't want to work with arses, basically. We don't want to work with people that we have to cover all the time or we're looking over our shoulder or we're covering for their mistakes or we're treading on eggshells or anything like that. We want to go to work, do a good job, get paid for doing it and enjoy our job at the same time. All this like fishwife bitchiness and slagging each other off and calling each other names and stabbing each other in the back. Not a single person I've ever spoken to in my life enjoys that environment. But why did yet do businesses put up with it? And it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to employ these guys. If you, you know, I know a lot of our listeners are HMO owners and, and whatnot. It could be contractors. It could be on site. It could be the Sparky's having a, a dig at the, the gas fitter or the chippy's having a go at the roofer or the paint is peed off at the plasterer. It could be anything. And you just want to say, right, guys, stop it. There's a genuine story. When, when I'd first started, there was a lot of bitchiness. We only had two offices or one office, I think. No, we did. We had the two. And my then manager 
was slagging one of the girls off in the office, which was out of order, and one of the girls in the office was slagging the manager off. So I got the pair of them in. You should have seen the faces. And I went, right, you said that about her. You said that about her. Discuss. Uh, I says, yes, you did, because your pair of you said that to me. Now, this is going to happen every single time you, you talk about each other behind your back. If you've got something to say, just say it to the face, but do it off-site, blah, blah, blah. And that was the turning point in our culture improving because it was pretty negative at that point. It was, there was it was not a nice place to work. I want to pick up on something you said there, which is quite funny. And it's something you said to me years ago. And actually, it's always stuck with me. And it's, I'd rather have a hole uh, than, than an arsehole in the business. Yeah. And it's true. And actually, we would buy that mantra as well because we, employing staff and picking the right person is difficult, let's be honest. You're never going to get it right every time. In fact, only one this week, one of our member businesses called me from the mastermind and they said, They've got a VA and I've been having some problems with the VA and they implemented some time management software and it looks like their staff member yeah. isn't really doing anywhere near the amount that they should be doing. And you know, my opinion was, look, this is a will, not a skill. You can't train this out of somebody. They just don't want to switch the computer on. They just don't want to do the work. You'd rather have a hole here than an arsehole. And, and yeah. yeah, they've gone and got rid of them and, and are going to get somebody else in. But I think it's really important and really important to actually be honest with our listeners about the fact that getting our staff choices right and getting our staff management right is an art. It is definitely oh. not all a science, is it, John? And yeah. when you, you've got, what, 30 minutes in an interview to kind of get to know somebody, you've mm. got some time to review them, review an application, maybe have a look at them on social media. And of course, they come in with the kind of their best picture. They're, they're not mm. telling us about the stuff that they're not so good at, or we don't really see who they are in, a, in an environment working with other people. So it is difficult to do that, isn't it, as well? But mm. let's go back then. So we talked about financial incentives being certainly financially incentivizing staff is important, but absolutely not the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. Culture, other sorts of awards, showing appreciation is all part of it. And that's not something that is just there necessarily on day one. It's something that we've got to actively work at. But if we're hiring staff and we want to do this sort of stuff, one thing I found was that it was often quite difficult to measure and maintain and be consistent in, in that approach with tenants because in a young business, it's chaotic. I could be all over the place. You know, there could be things going on here, fires that need putting out there. And that piece can very quickly get forgotten about. So how do we make sure that we're actually putting time aside and putting structure into our business, even if it's just for our very first employee, just for one employee, to be actually motivating them, doing things that keep them motivated, keep them enthused about what they're doing? What do we actually need to do on a granular level as business owners? Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things. The first thing is you need to, it's all about choice management. So I'm not a believer in time management. It's I call it choice management because we've all got the same amount of time. It's just what we choose to prioritize. So if you think sleeping in or, you know, messing around on Facebook or, you know, talking to me on a podcast is more important than training your staff, then that's completely up to you and I'm not going to dictate to you. But don't be surprised if and when your staff member doesn't perform the way you wanted them to. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is you need to have structure. Absolutely, 100%. You need to have structure in your diary and the way you operate, because if you don't, how the hell can you expect your staff and your team to have exactly the same? So by putting the structure in your diary, it's setting a massive precedent and it's setting huge examples. It's a little bit like, you know, if you've got kids and stuff and 
you're swearing and effing and jeffing and smoking and drinking. And when your kids grow up and they're, they're exactly the same and you go, oh, I wonder what happened. There were such good kids. You know, they learn from the parents. It's the same with staff. If they see you nicking off and taking two hours for lunch, then they're going to do exactly the same. It's not, you know, do as I say, not as I do. That, that, that's a poor, poor way of managing. So have, have, making the right choices spending the time with them and having some sort of structure with that. And you've got to have the the things like the one-to-ones, the regular meetings with them, giving them the feedback. Because in the absence of being told what you're doing well or what you're not doing well, people are just going to go thinking the status quo is the right way to go. They're just going to go thinking, yeah, I must be doing well because Andy hasn't told me otherwise. So they're going to continue doing it and working the way they are. And you're saying, you're peed off going, why is John not doing that? Why is he? Well, you've not told me. So I'm, I'm just going to naturally assume it was right. So... And there's a difference between being a manager and a leader, by the way. A leader is more the strategic, like the overarching things, and then a manager is more the tactical, and they they roll it out. And there's a little bit of a crossover, like a bit of a Venn diagram where there's a bit in the middle. And you can be a bit of a one and more the other. So I've never been a great manager. I've been an okay one. I've been average. But I think my strength is definitely my leadership skills, pushing the business on, coming up with the strategies, coming up with the various ideas. I have got several managers much, much better than me in my business and my MD and my area manager and recruiting for another area manager to manage the day-to-day running of the business. Now, their skill set, I think they'll they'll be first to admit, the majority of them, if not all of them, couldn't come up with the ideas of, of rent-to-own and acquisitions and doing this and doing that. That's great because my strength doesn't lie doing a performance management or doing a one-to-one. So it's about understanding your skills. One thing I will say is in the absence of having, I'm very fortunate to have these managers, but at one point I didn't, you've just got to knuckle down. Another saying you'll have heard me saying is just pull up your big boy pants and just get on with it. So rather than saying, I'm a leader and I can't do this, no, just get on with it. Stop twisting, stop mourning. If you want a business, you've got to do the graft. And some of that graft might be onboarding a staff member, learning how to motivate them and rolling that out through additional team members that you've recruited over the next couple of months or years until you are in that position where you can afford to bring in a manager to do all that sort of stuff. I think one of the things that I've learned over the years is is just listening to staff as well is so important because you're right if you're not listening because we're here there and everywhere doing doing all sorts those issues that staff have got go untreated and they can fester and they become poisonous and they can spread like viruses through even a small team Mm -hmm. and so I think right from the ground up with the onboarding process and the induction so important to actually give people the training that they need we now implement process where as they progress through that training, it's done alongside the operation procedures and we can check that they're happy and that they've kind of kind of essentially can sign off and say, mm-hmm. yeah, I've had that training. I know or they can ask more questions. They can say, you know what? I'm not quite sure about that. I still don't know. I'm not yeah. confident with that. And you can put more training in place. And this week I've done a couple of staff appraisals, end of the quarter. I, for newer staff, I'll do appraisals a bit more regularly, but with staff who've been with us for some time and are well out of their probationary period, I'll do appraisals every three months. But it's brilliant to be able to actually stop and, and look in detail at how they're actually performing across all areas of the business, not just are we filling enough rooms or you know are you, do, you know, keeping occupancy high enough. It's far more than that. It's you know everything from the professionalism, the compliance and the paperwork, and we need to be able to audit that to make sure that we've got targets set that they know they're working to and we need to be able to actually give them that feedback one thing i've learned is that if we can't measure it it's, it's almost impossible to hold somebody to account so do our staff have targets and processes to work to that will help ensure that we 
maintain occupancy. Mm. Because if occupancy is low, then how the hell can we keep them accountable to something and give them constructive feedback if actually we haven't documented anything or we haven't said, you know, you've actually only done X, Y, and Z and we could have done A, B, C, D, E, F, and, and G yeah. instead here. So I think that that appraisal process for me is so important as well in this piece about keeping staff motivated yeah. and keeping them enthusiastic. Just briefly what you said before about this, this, the SOPs, the standard operating procedures for, for those listeners, it's effectively just a list of what to do and how to do it. Is that routine? So when I mentioned before about the routine, people love routine. It gives them safety, it gives them security, it gives them the knowledge that they're coming on a Monday morning, they know what to do, there's no losing, having a sleepless night the night before. So routine is, is massively important and that only comes with training in, in the procedures. And just to sort of back you up on what you said there, Andy, is those appraisals or monthly one-to-ones, you know, I'm a big believer in we, we have ours monthly. I know people have them quarterly. That's completely up to them because that gives them that protected time to raise any issues with us. Yes, they can do it any time they want, morning, noon, and night, you know, the, the previous three weeks and four days of the month. But on that fifth day, the fourth week, when we sit down and we have that appraisal, it's just us and them for an hour. And it is literally talking about how do you think you've been? These are your KPIs. This is how you performed. What can we do to make you better? Have you got any problems? And quite invariably, we do get a lot of our staff talking about things that's got nothing to do with work. Yep, stuff stuff going on at home. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stuff in the personal lives. Yeah. And it's amazing, isn't it? That, that protected time, that safe environment is it can actually be a bonding experience and you can learn so much more about your staff member and you can support them you can be understanding even if there's nothing you can do directly you can be understanding and perhaps there's some of the things that they've been doing or not been doing there's there's an explanation for that and you can maybe help coach them around that and put certain measures in place it's Mm. really really powerful isn't it to be able to sit there and, and have those conversations in that safe environment with staff yeah, absolutely. I think this has been a really great episode, John, and I th- I'm sure you know our listeners will be able to implement some of this with their very first staff member right through to our listeners who've got dozens of staff members in their business. And like you said, we can take it onto the building sites. We can we can look at this across all areas of our business, keeping people motivated. I think per se to help us work towards our common goal is, is a great thing to be able to do. Nobody w- wants to work with a like a Hitler or anything like that. There's there's right and wrong ways of doing everything. But I think if we can get this piece right and get everybody on board and behind the effort and behind the objective, then it'll be... Well, it is so much easier, isn't it, to kind of get where we want to go? Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for joining us today, John. It's been a pleasure, as always, to have you back on the show. For everybody listening, if you're not aware, John and I are over in the HMO community on Facebook, so you can come and join us and you can ask us all of these questions directly. And of course, if you're a member of the HMO Roadmap, you can join the live Q&As with John and I. You can actually bring your questions and you can ask the big man himself anything you like about staff management about how much he earns, whatever you want, John will answer it. But, uh, <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again so much for tuning in, guys, and we will see you next week. Bye.